Hey, and welcome to the Android Central Podcast. It's Friday, October 25th, 2019. My name is Daniel Bader, and welcome to the show. I'm doing that because I sort of have my lung capacity back. Um, I'm, I'm recovering from pneumonia, uh, which I, I didn't realize I could get. I thought pneumonia was only a thing that uh, grand people get, but apparently that Why? is not the case. Uh, I think... <laughs> I think my my daughter gave it to me. So I I held out going to the doctor for like a week and a half, even though I was hacking lungs and uh, generally feeling like crap. And then my wife finally convinced me on Sunday to go to the doctor. And they're like, yeah, yeah, you have pneumonia. So that's why uh, I've been coughing over the last two weeks during all of our podcasts. So hopefully I won't do that. Um, But keeping me from talking too much this week is Andrew Martinick. Welcome back. I do not have pneumonia. You should be able to let me just ramble on as long as possible. Anytime you got to you got to step aside for a coughing fit. I'm here for you. Thanks, dude. Um, People actually ask more of that. They say we like it when when Andrew rambles. So uh, find that hard to believe, but I'll take it. I I think one person has at one time told me that. Um, Thanks, mom. uh, Glad you're still listening to the podcast. The expert rambler, Jerry Hillenbrand. We're going to talk a lot about pixel technical jargon. So you're here because you're the best at it. Also because we love you. Ha! I have rock and roll pneumonia and boogie woogie flu. <laughs> uh, who sang that one? I did in the shower the other day, but I don't know <laughs> who did it first. Oh man, that's uh, that's got to be something to hear. You you just like rambling on in the shower. That that's that's a live album I would listen to. So, Andrew, um Mhm. So last week, Jerry and Ara and I, we spoke a lot about other the other products because we knew that this week the Pixel 4 embargo would launch, would, would, uh, would, would go, and we would publish our reviews, and all would be dandy. But I didn't realize until the weekend just how bad the battery life was on the smaller mm-hmm. Pixel. And that really, really colored my my take and my review in general um but yours yours was a little bit more complimentary so let's start there um you gave it a four out of five you said that Mm -hmm. for all of its battery life issues and a few you know quibbles with motion sense this is a really really good phone but you weren't quite as effusive as you were about the pixel 3 so start with why that is yeah, I think this goes back to what we talked about a few weeks ago before we went to the event and got our hand, you know, on the phone for a long time was, you know, we're I in particular, but I think just us as, in general as not even just this site but just tech reviewers, we're just not willing to give Google as much of a pass as we did in previous years like you've had three successive generations in which you've tried and failed on a lot of the basics of the phone. And we just weren't you're willing to do that again. And the good thing is that Google stepped up to the task in multiple ways. I think across the board, everybody is happy with things like the performance and the software stability and things like that. But and of course, the cameras, which we'll talk about. But the the battery life is still horrendous. I mean, even even on the four XL, which is passable it's it's quite bad by modern standards and that really is the the biggest thing because nothing else really matters if your if your phone is dead but they also just 
kind of whiffed on some other things like motion sense just not being ready for prime time. And it's it's just one of those things where I think even though Google outdid itself from last year, uh, they didn't they didn't step far enough forward to make up for the fact that people are all kind of fed up with them, you know, missing a lot of the basics. Okay, so missing the basics is is an interesting way of putting it because I guess the the Pixel is sort of the iPhone of the Android world where it's more about the experience than the specs. So yeah, it's, and it's I don't a, think that's a bad thing either by the way. No, like no, no. that's and, and that's I, just I, a good comparison. Like we've we've we sort of tiptoed around that comparison early, in the early days of the Pixel, right? Pixel 1, Pixel 2, but now I think it's pretty self-evident that is what Google is intending on when it comes out with the Pixel. It wants a phone that is more about the overall experience, more about the um, the marriage of hardware and software that um, only Google can provide, and also pushing forward on technologies that other companies will hopefully adopt. So with Face Unlock, obviously Google is not the first company in the Android ecosystem to do Face Unlock, but it's the first one to do it like this. It's the first one, arguably, to do it really well. Um, you can debate a bit about whether it's doing it well, but I think it is. And uh, with Soli and Radar, uh, you know, it's it's not. I wouldn't say it's an outright failure, but it's it's probably underwhelming to anybody who saw it hyped the way it yeah. has been. I think it's I think it's effectively a failure now. That doesn't mean it can't be going forward, but it but it is now. It lays the foundation for what could be a really interesting platform. So, Jerry, how do you see this playing out? Uh, well, for one, I don't think Google has a different understanding of what the Pixel is than most people. I, I think the only thing Google cares about is a really good delivery system for its services. They want the, this phone to give you the best Gmail experience, the best Google Assistant experience. And they don't care about anything else. I, oh, I, mean, I, I could hard be wrong, disagree with that. But yeah. that's that's where Google makes their money. Google loses money building phones. They lose money making Android, but they make a ton of money everywhere else. So see, I don't I don't buy that all only because that's what they were doing with the Nexus. That's that's really how they were selling the Nexus, right? Is that you could get a cheap phone that did Android really well, Google services really well. Uh, and I think they gave that up with the Pixel, with with the with the Nexus 5X and 6P, and that whole messaging around the original Pixel being focused on the camera, focused on the hardware, and and like the nuance of that hardware improving year over year between the Pixel One, Pixel Two, Pixel Three, and now Four. I don't think they would even say it's all about their services anymore. I don't think they'd say it out loud, but that doesn't mean it's not true. Uh, a really good camera is just a good vehicle for Google Photos. That's the way I see things. Uh, companies only care about what makes them money. I'm sure the people that build the Pixel really care about the product. But overall, Google only cares about ways to make money because that's what all companies do. But in any case, I I think Google has a bit you know, maybe they wear a set of blinders. I'm curious if you would take a pixel and never visit Google play, use a 
you know, play music for your podcasts or, you know, use the built-in Gmail client. Only use what's on the phone. I'm curious what your battery life would be like, especially if you didn't monkey with any of Google's things that try to save battery. Because battery life is the big deal with this phone. Battery life, from all accounts, sucks. And that's that's a problem that you can't overlook. No matter how good everything else is, if the battery life sucks, the phone kind of sucks. And that's sad because I see everybody loving the hardware, loving the camera, loving the display for the most part. Loving all these things and then saying, yeah, but the battery's bad. Well, that that's a problem. So I'm curious and, if it's Google not thinking ahead that, well, users are going to shut this off or change this or download this, and that's why our battery is too small. Well, the crazy thing about that as well is that they, again, they've had three generations of bad battery life uh, in the small version in particular. But even the big one has always just been like, it's good enough, and it and it's you know of all the companies making phones the one that should be looking at the telematics you know coming back from the from the phone and all this u- anonymized user data and realize like oh okay 75% of people are plugging in this phone at 6 p.m. because that's when the battery dies it, like it can't be a an unknown problem it just has to obviously be funneling into this cost structure of the phone and everything else and saying, well, we can only do X, Y, and Z. You know, we can't do ABC, X, Y, and Z. And the battery is just one of those things that's left off. When you look at the Pixel 4 in particular, the small one, and you see that the battery is smaller, it's just, it, that just seems sin- downright cynical. Like that they couldn't figure that out when you just actually make the battery smaller. That's kind of crazy. At least the four XL, the battery is bigger and it does kind of last through a day if you, you know, really push it. But the, the problem is that they've made zero strides in battery life in a world where everything from $200 phones to $1,200 phones all have considerably better battery life. I'm, I'm trying to guess what they're thinking. I'm sure they're not ignoring it and it's obvious what they're doing isn't working, mm-hmm. but I'm just, I just try to guess, you know, what, what could they be thinking? And I'm mostly at a loss. So, I mean, my, my last gasp, but you know, imagine the guy drowning, putting up his hand one last <laughs> time, you know, maybe they assume that users are just going to use it out of the box the way it is. And if you do that, it works fine. It w- That's no, not realistic. I, no, it doesn't work fine. It it absolutely doesn't work fine. I I install twenty five apps when you know I I restore the bare the, like the bare foundation of of any new phone. Right. I have only a need for you know twenty to, <coughs> shit, twenty to twenty five apps, and uh, I you know I'm like Andrew. I don't do a whole lot of non you know non-core things on my phone i don't game uh i don't right I don't, no streaming yeah i just I, I i do watch the occasional youtube video i'll i'll you know i'll listen to spotify or, or pocket casts but i'm not i'm not like a super intense power user i'm i'm a typical user this phone lasts me until 
5 or 6 p.m. Um, and, and that's not acceptable. And, and everybody who's come back at me, you know, I stand by my review and my review conclusion is that you shouldn't buy this phone. It's not, you shouldn't buy it with caveats. It's that you shouldn't buy it. If you, you, you should not, this phone shouldn't exist is what I'm saying. Um, and I'm not undermining the other good parts of the product. I think everything, literally everything, even motion sense is, is salvageable and, 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 and outright positive. But if you have to constantly babysit this phone, then it shouldn't exist. And Google told me that it had a mandate to make the Pixel 4 and Pixel 4 XL identical from a feature perspective. This was their mandate from the top, from Rick Osterloh. He said, make the same phone in two sizes. And they didn't want to compromise on making the smaller phone bigger, right? It does have a bigger 5.7-inch display, but that's because it has a 19 by 9 aspect ratio. So ostensibly, it is the same size as the Pixel 3. And it is feature complete. It is, exactly. There aren't differences, which is really great. But that came at the expense of Soli needs to be in there. Soli is a finite thing, right? It takes up a certain amount of space. What's what? What do we have to give? Like, what can give? The only thing that could give was battery. So that's what they did, and I think that was the wrong decision. But it was a structural, institutional decision that they made at the very beginning, and they had to carry it through. They carried it through 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 uh, EVT, through software optimization, through literally everything, through Android 10's beta program and beyond. And this was set in stone in like December. And what else could they do? They had to see it through fruition. But when it came time to market the phone, they had this problem where the phone itself had a smaller battery than its predecessor. And Jerry, Which there's was just already no bad. way of getting around it. That was the wrong decision, and they probably knew it eight months ago. Like I said, it's it's kind of sad that all the good things people have to say about it are all followed with how bad the battery is, and that kind of makes it suck. And uh, obviously, there's the separate discussion of... Uh, so we gave uh, a lower review to the 4 than the 4XL. Obviously, the the horrendous battery life was was worth half a point i believe it was um, oh i can i considered giving it a three i really did but the camera is so good and the yeah. software experience is so good and i think like the way that i put it was that from morning to mid-afternoon it's my favorite phone ever made and once you hit yeah. about 2 p.m and the battery anxiety starts to kick in then it becomes just untenable and obviously I have an indoor job. I sit next to a computer all day. I could keep this on a charger from morning till night, probably. I could, you know, throughout my could, entire work day, I could be at 100%. I take it off the, off the charger at 5 p.m., and I'd have perfect battery life. That is not realistic. That is not the way that anybody should have to use their phone. No. And I, and I do not accept that as an argument. So if you disagree with me, fine, and I, and I hear you. But for the average person, they should not have to think about battery life throughout the day. And the thing is that even on the 4XL, it it still requires thought. Like it's still you you still have many situations in which it's the afternoon or the evening 
you know, and it's the weekend and you're going to be, you know, for a fact, you're going to be out till 10 PM, 11 PM, whatever. Um, unless you're, you're old like us and you're home at nine, but even then you, you have to pull down the notification shade, see the estimated battery life is not going to make it there even by Google's good, accurate estimations. And you have to charge it at that moment if you didn't think about it during the day already. And I even think about the fact that I use Android auto every time that I drive, my phone charges for five, 10, 15 minutes, anytime I drive somewhere. And even including these little five, 10, 15 minute top ups a couple times a day, it still needs a, like a more substantial charge on a proper wall charger in the afternoon. If I'm going to go anywhere in the evening. And so it's not even that, that 15 minutes that you're charging or half hour charging. It's the constant thought of when I'm going to have to charge or planning out the day. Whereas on, like I said, on any other phone, um, even something like the OnePlus seven pro that had less than stellar battery life, it was still like, Oh, well you just turn on battery saver and you could make it until three in the morning. If you needed to, it'd be totally fine. This is a situation where your only option there is just, turn on airplane mode and just turn the screen off. That would be your only way to actually extend this thing past midnight. Yeah. And I mean, that's all kind of, it's all kind of beyond the point right now. I, you know, yes, the battery life sucks, but what I keep coming back to is the decision-making process that led here in the first place, that Google is so stubborn in its planning that it did not see this as far back as last year when they were planning the Pixel 4. I mean, as far back as 2016. Well, sure. But, but all I think, of their phones have had terrible battery life. Right, but this is... So I, I, come back to, I come back to two stories. The first story is that, yes, the Pixel 3 had terrible battery life, as did the Pixel 2. But this is... You know, the Pixel 3a was a completely different story they have evidence now google has you know the telematics as you said that shows that a whatever they did with that phone be it installing a slightly larger battery but not considerably larger about five percent larger than the pixel 3 uh a snapdragon 710 or what was it 670 right rather than a snapdragon 845 or 55 and whatever else they did made the 3a last as long as it needed to, right? Like, I never worried about that phone. So they have that to go on. And they also had the fact that when they were planning this phone and they knew that, uh, you know, they, they probably didn't know Apple's plans, right? But it had, been, it had been in the public for years and years that the smaller iPhones did not have good battery life. And, and they subsequently didn't sell very well once people caught on. Right. I mean, people wanted bigger phones, not just for the screens, but because their battery life was better. And the iPhone XR, Google knew all about the iPhone XR, right? And how it had incredible battery life because it literally had a larger battery. That's what they did. So they didn't know about the the 11 and 11 Pro, but they probably knew that that was where the puck was going. And yet they still decided to to put a smaller battery in it. So it's, for me... And I, I don't mean to keep harping on this, but it's not so much about the fact that the battery life is disappointing. It's that they knew 
that they could have solved this with a larger battery. They knew they could have solved this with a larger display or a slightly, you know, a a slight change to the operation eight months, 12 months ago, and they still did the same thing. And that's what drives me crazy. But to be fair, and I'm not apologizing for Google because this is unacceptable, period. But if if they made it thicker with a bigger battery, you and Andrew would have called it a brick. No. Like every other tech reviewer. I'm not picking there's, on y'all. There's gray area there. No, 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 no. That's not true. I mean, this is 0.3 millimeters bigger or thicker than the Pixel 3. It's 8.2 millimeters. Because the first thing I thought was the camera bump. Expand the body on the smaller one to the you know measurements of the camera bump. You'd have no camera bump and... That little bit of room spread out over the entire back surface is a lot more battery. But then everybody would say, whoa, it's too thick. Well, I also just wonder about, uh, like, yes, they could have made it thicker and put more battery. Like, that that would have been the iPhone 11 Pro approach. There are all kinds of other decisions as well in in Daniel's um, timeline explanation of, you know, where they put their foot down on certain things. Other phones are the same rough dimensions as this and have larger batteries. They like they also have other decisions made inside the phone that they couldn't give up. Like you said, they couldn't give up on the face unlock and the solely radar and mm-hmm. their stereo speakers and what you know everything else they put in there. Like there are multiple decisions that could be made. It didn't d- just have to be thicker and heavier only. Like it could be a little bit thicker and heavier along with everything else. Like this is always the the decision process. The the crazy thing is, like Daniel's pointing out, is that they made the decision that this was okay, like this kind of battery capacity, battery life was okay, and then built everything else around that as well, instead of making a lot of those decisions together and doing more give and take to get more battery in there. I mean, the Galaxy S10 Plus is like has like a 20% larger battery or 15% larger battery. You know, it's like, it's not just a small amount and it's the same size. Yeah. I mean, if you go to iFixit and you go to the Pixel 4 XL teardown, you can see how, how much larger the solely, um, the, 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 the chip, but the, also the daughter board and at how much space in the phone it actually takes up. It's not just that little sensor that's on the, on the bezel. Oh, right. Yeah. You know, so that obviously played into it, um, but it was it was one of those things where, you know, Google had this tech that it needed to include in the phone. It knew that, right? Solely was finished. It was ready. It was you know, it was as small as it was going to get for a you know a shipping consumer uh, part in 2019. Maybe next year it'll be smaller. The year after that it'll be smaller still. But t- right now, Soli is as small as it's going to get. But it's small enough to fit in the phone. That's what happened. So. End of story. We can, we don't have to talk about battery for the entire time, but I just wanted to mention that because Google undermined its the the entire experience, and the otherwise the experience is pretty damn good. As Andrew pointed yeah. out, this is for all intents and purposes one of the best Android experiences you can get. It's one of the best phone experiences you can get, and uh, I, I don't want to belabor. I don't want to delay uh, talking about the screen because I actually think the screen is another area where Google had the best of intentions, 
and also kind of fumbled on the execution. So let's talk a little bit about what's happened in the last few days. And I'm glad that we took until Friday to record this because so much has happened between the embargo lifting and right now. Uh, Andrew, walk us through a little bit of the the, the 90 hertz uh, controversy, I guess. This is just a such a perfect example of how people get so, so deep into the weeds on pixel stuff in a way that is just, it's frankly impressive how much people get into crap that just, for the most part, doesn't matter. We'll talk about face unlock in, in the same uh, vein. But Google made a big deal about these phones having a 90 hertz refresh rate. And I think we all made a big deal about it as well, because after OnePlus did it, following Razer doing 120 hertz, which was absolutely insane. 90 hertz is kind of the new thing because it smooths out animations and anything moving on the screen to a really noticeable effect. And it's often a subconscious kind of thing where you don't really think about it until it's turned off. And so people started noticing that when the screen brightness goes down on both of the pixels, the 90 hertz refresh rate turns off. And so it goes back down to 60. And we already knew that the screens had a variable refresh rate based on what was going on on the screen. So if there wasn't a lot of movement or there was something static on the screen, it would drop to 60 because that's what it should do. It saves battery. um, It saves compute time. You don't have to refresh something that's not moving 90, you know, at 90 hertz. But the the problem that people were noticing is that kind of a once you notice it, you notice it, and then you can just uh, get really deep into the weeds with it is it's at like 75% brightness and lower, it goes down to 60 hertz. And that just seems really, that seems really uh, a high threshold. But also, Jerry's going to explain why yeah. it's like why they're doing that, because it, it makes a lot of sense. And it's not um, it's not for battery life. It's from a, a biological perspective with how our eyes work. Right. Mostly it's plain and simple. Google's doing what they're doing because the screen flickers if they don't do it. Uh, and a, a, a caveat, most of all the people looking into the things have. This is on the uh, 4XL. The 4 is probably the same, but the 4 has an entirely different display. So there could be slight differences in in how it's being calculated. But uh, Google uses what's called PWM dimming, pulse width modulation. And that means between the screen refreshes, the screen actually goes blank. It goes black. Uh, OnePlus is a great example. For the most part, they use what's called DC dimming, and that just lowers the voltage between refreshes, and it doesn't necessarily go go completely black. When the screen goes black 90 times a second, it's going to flicker under certain conditions. Flickering is bad both for the user experience and for our health. If something flickers that fast, you probably won't be noticing it, but that doesn't mean it's not affecting your eyes. It can give you migraines. It's it's a real health concern, that sort of flickering. Uh, There's another situation where no no display in the market can offer color calibration that's perfect when when you make it variable. And you have to you have to make the calibration variable 
if the screen refresh rate and the brightness is going to be variable. Uh, if your phone is at 40% brightness, the color calibration isn't the same as if it's at 80%. It's also not the same if it's at 60 hertz or if it's at 90 hertz. And really quickly, Google made a big deal about how it does a similar thing to Apple's True Tone, where it's right. changing the the colors of the display based on the brightness and the ambient conditions. Right. And if you don't do that, sometimes your screen, the colors just look off. So that has to be done. Uh, you're never going to be able to get that perfect. Maybe one day, but the science right now, you can't. All these things tie together, which forces Google to do a lot of work when it changes between 90 hertz and 60 hertz. What I think the problem is that people are seeing, and I'm with Andrew, I don't maybe think it's as big a problem as we make it out to be, but it's doing it at times where it maybe shouldn't be. Uh, right now, if your screen brightness is at 74%, the Pixel 4 is at 60 hertz, the, the display. Unless you're in very bright ambient conditions, and that keeps it at 90 hertz. That all has to go back to the flickering. They don't want you to see any flickering, and they don't want your eyes to be adversely affected by any flickering. Maybe 74% is wrong. Uh, the OnePlus, you can jack that thing down to about 35 40% brightness, and it still looks like it's running at 90 hertz. Uh, Google's just got to adjust it, and it the software was built to be easily adjustable. In fact, over at XDA, they've already seen once they are able to route the Pixel 4 reliably without breaking everything else, it's just a matter of changing a couple, you know, lines of, of some code or writing a little script that can change those on the fly and you can make it do its switch from 90 to 60 at whatever brightness level you want. There, there must be consequences for doing that, right? Like they would have, they would have just made it more they would have made it less conservative yeah that would have been the easy thing to do so there was obviously a reason for this well i i think what they've done is err on the side of conservative you know to be conservative right now they they probably can go a little bit lower but what they did is if we do this at 75 percent, it's gonna be fine uh we can probably go a little bit lower we'll look into that in the future and that's what they're doing when they say they're going to make some adjustments in a future update. They'll they'll check into it and see just how low they can go. And that's my big thing is that I just didn't notice this. It, you know, I was also somebody that didn't notice the the OnePlus Jelly scrolling thing from the OnePlus 6T or whatever that was. But I I just didn't notice this, which kind of indicates that and you know, I don't think I saw this mentioned in any other review we had these phones for a week nobody else mentioned this this is really something that you know somebody notices on reddit or xda and it just you know it blows up you know relative to the you know the size of the issue according to math we should never be able to see what google's done here but that doesn't always hold true some people notice things better than other people i i i'll, I'll push back on that i noticed it I noticed it right away. I I just thought it was me. Like <coughs> I had, for I, I gave Google the benefit of the doubt when I shouldn't have, and I thought it was something I was doing, um, or I thought it was a bug. 
but not a bug that was pervasive enough to include it in my review. Because what I would do is I would be outside or I would be in a well-lit room where, you know, the phone is forced to ratchet up the brightness and lo and behold, 90 hertz would be on. And then I would go back to my office where it's a little bit dimmer and then 90 hertz would be on. And then I would pick up my phone again and it would be off and it made no sense. But it turns out it's not just based on the brightness. It's also based on the ambient light settings. Yep. So yeah. as the evening comes on and the general hue of most people's lights turn warmer, which is what mine do, because I have a hue light that changes its ambient color temperature as the, ev- as, as the day wears on, um, if I'm in my office, it automatically turns off, even if brightness is the same. So Google is doing this thinking, oh, we're going to be super smart and it's going to be seamless. But instead, it just feels arbitrary. And that is not a great user experience because it was like, wait, is this on me or is this on Google? And I couldn't figure that out until somebody identified the reasons this was happening. Yeah, I agree. The threshold is too high, especially considering that the peak brightness of this screen is not particularly high it's just kind of average this phone just lives at about 75 percent brightness just in general even even just indoors during the day it's probably going to be between 70 and 80 percent brightness uh it's really only you know late at night indoors with you know that you get below that point and so Hmm. maybe that threshold is a bit too high Okay, well, that would explain two things. That so I, if, for anybody listening, I don't have mine yet. If it lives, if if seventy five percent is about the average you see all the time, that would explain why Google just use seventy five percent for now as the placeholder until they have time to see user feedback, and it would explain part of the reason why the battery sucks so bad because the screen's so bright all the time. I mean, it's just yeah, it's just not as capable as. Uh, you know, the Samsung panels that Samsung puts in its own phones, which I find, you know, like using the Note 10 Plus, that lives more in like the 50 to 60% range most of the time. And very rarely, you know, if you're indoors and you crank up the Note 10 screen to max, it's too bright for your eyes. I think the the end thing here, the the way to cap all this off is Google used numbers that they thought would be the safe bet for for now and with user feedback they can easily adjust them they made sure these were easy to adjust and uh, that's already clear because you can you can go into the developer settings and force 90 hertz and you can also go in just the regular normal people settings and turn on and off 90 hertz you know variable but you can turn it off entirely if you want so it is easy to control i mean it's it's easy to control but it's not easy to decipher so it's like it's it's right. a no. I mean, it's easy from like yes, they could update this and change those settings like that. Easy for Google to control in the long run. No, for sure. And I I think um, XDA uncovered a few commits that um, changed over time. So, for example, the brightness threshold was different uh, in mm-hmm. you know in the run up to the release, and I think they were tweaking mm-hmm. this as the phone was released. And my guess is that you know. Google loves to do that. It it just loves to it's sort of like hey, we need we need a GM release for this phone. Just give me what you have. 
right? But that may be in the middle of a, you know, a bunch of sprints on the software side that are not quite finished. And we've seen this so many times in previous Pixel releases where Google will take a couple of weeks or a couple of months to release a camera update or, you know, a performance update, right? The reason last year, uh, you know, the Pixel 3 was deleting photos um, is just, it was, a, it was a software bug that kicked all these apps out of memory. That largely was alleviated with a patch that came, what, like two months after release? And look at just this week. It's like the phone app has been updated, the camera app, Gmail, Google Maps, um, uh, let's see, Play Services for AR, Duo, all of these things have been updated just in the last couple of days. These are these are core functions of the phone. So let's let's shift now to talk about the face unlock because there that's also an area <laughs> uh, combined with motion sense that will continue to receive updates and be tweaked. Um, one of the big sources of news this week was that the Pixel Four uh, launches with no attention setting for its face unlock. You are not required to keep your eyes open. Um, unlike on the iPhone, although mm-hmm. to be fair, the iPhone does it does default to attention, but it's not a required setting. You can choose to disable it if you want. Uh, not a lot of people were saying that in in their uh, coverage. But Jerry, you wrote a a really interesting editorial about this, saying that I mean, basically, if you care about security, don't use biometrics at all, right? Right. Um, yes, Jerry's Jerry's my my mouthpiece for this one (laughs) and and that is fair and it's it's true but also google probably should have included this in the settings especially since again an xda uncovery uh they found a commit that removed attention from the pixel 4 software and we saw that because the evt uh versions of the phone that were that were sold or were stolen in Vietnam prior to release had that feature on it. It was right. in the UI. It wasn't just some flag. So we knew it was there until real, like pretty recently. And it's, it's important to include it. And it's not because it's really worth anything. It's, it's going to be simple to defeat. It's simple to defeat on the iPhone. Uh, and, and it's funny. You take a pair of sunglasses and put a little spot of white tape in the middle of each lens put them on, and you can defeat the attention setting almost every single time. That's hilarious, but there's no way to get around it. That's just, it's it's not live. It doesn't look for blood flow in your eyeballs or anything. But that doesn't matter. It would have made us feel better. And if Google yeah. wants us to like the phone more, it needs to include settings that we want to see. I agree that it should just be a setting. It shouldn't, I mean, you don't even, if you're worried about the speed or the accuracy of it, uh, of face unlock when you have attention turned on, just put it in there and make it a, uh, you know, make it an option for people that the whatever percent, single digit percent of people that want to go in there, they know the difference and they want to turn it on. What I don't understand is, uh, again, people really getting into the weeds on this pixel stuff is you're, you're getting upset about attention not being there mostly because the iPhone has it and that's it. The 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 argument that it's dramatically more secure or that it makes a huge difference for you know being worried about law enforcement or somebody unlocking your phone while you're sleeping or something like that. 
those things are completely unnecessary. It's a completely different conversation about biometrics in general. And it's a conversation that zero people were having about the Pixel 3 with its fingerprint sensor, which was obviously did not require any second factor, did not require any attention assist of any sort because it was just a fingerprint sensor. And it was just a given that we were willing to take those trade-offs of it just being a thing that's at the end of your hand rather than, you know, something that's more secure, something that you know. If, 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 if a police officer wants to force you to unlock your phone with a fingerprint sensor, they have to try 10 fingers. That takes way longer. So it's totally foolproof. Oh my goodness. (laughs) Right. I I know. Like, I've heard all of those arguments, and I know you're being facetious, and I appreciate that. But it's like what people people glom onto something like this because, yes, it, it, it is kind of easy to dunk on Google here because we know that they were working on the feature and they probably should have just had this option in there. But people do need to realize that the best way to secure your phone, if you're worried about that sort of thing, is a long password. And that's that's it. But here's the kicker. That's not necessarily the case. Uh, there's a feature that Google includes, and Google talks it up big. Oh, yes. Thank you for the bringing this up. Lockdown. You can change a setting in your display settings on any Pixel phone that no matter what you use for screen unlock, uh, the next time your phone screen shuts off, when it comes back on, you're need to, you're going to need to enter a pin or a password. And it's called lockdown, and you can put it right in the settings menu that happens if you hit the power button. That's the answer yeah. here. Uh, so it's under lock screen, and it's called lockdown, and it just goes into the power menu when you press and hold the power button. It's right between screenshot and restart, and it removes your biometrics and forces you to use your password to log and in. And that's, you know, if you don't trust the people that you're with, that, you know, you're going to set your phone down and go order a drink or maybe if you fall asleep or whatever, if you don't trust the people around you, enable that setting, problem fixed. No, you know what's even easier to do is uh, just restart your phone. Hold, like yeah. if, you're, if, you're in a, if you're in a compromising position and you don't have time to look at your screen to actually tap lockdown, you just hold the power button for 10 seconds in your pocket, it'll reset your phone, and the next time you're forced to use your PIN. Yep. That is the easiest way to ensure that nobody gets unauthorized access. However, biometrics are still, you know, they, they're more convenient. And the argument here is that a better biometric system, you know, vis-a-vis face unlock, is going to make it more likely that people enable any biometrics, any passwords, which is more, Definitely. you know, which is better than having no, no password at all. Or a really, really easy password like 1111 or something. Right. So that has been the argument for years that most people have terrible password hygiene and that extends to their lock screen. And if you make it super easy and super fast to unlock your phone with your face, which this does, then people are going to be more likely to use it. And that's why I think that the combination of this face unlock system, which uh, is really good just like from a technical level in terms of the speed while still being um, secure enough for payments and app unlocking and all that kind of stuff is really good. Like they've, they've done the thing right. And I think the combination of this good face unlock and something like lockdown and of course, hopefully in the future, an option for something like attention assist for more security 
is really good. And I think it's better than a fingerprint sensor in the real world because it's even more seamless than a fingerprint sensor from getting people to actually use it, you know, like that perspective. The most annoying thing for me is everybody's talking about attention assist. It's like the thing you should really be railing on Google about is that it only works with like seven apps. In yeah, the but Play that was Store. only five like two days ago. So we're, we're going in the right direction. <laughs> They've made a 30% improvement in the number of apps that support face unlock. Like, I, that's, I, would, I would actually that's not crazy. be surprised if Google came out with a press release and be like, we saw a 100% increase in the number of apps supported by biometric prompt in the first week alone. It's like, yeah, we went from two to four. They should. They need to shame and incentivize developers to to update their stuff. Because that's the problem. We can hate on Google for this, but it's developers that haven't used the last 18 months that they were told that they need to update to, to update their apps. Yeah, I don't so know. That's the, big, that's the big thing is like this isn't a brand new API, but the problem is until you require it, they're just not going to do it because the, the market is like they had no reason to. You know, it was very optional. And even the five apps or whatever it was that they announced, uh, you know, those are partners. Like they went and yeah. talked to them specifically and made sure that it was there, which and they still couldn't get a single financial app on board. Right. Like how much handholding do they possibly need? I mean, this is this is what's so frustrating is that if Apple wanted this to happen, it would just be like, I'm kicking you off the app store unless you get yeah. this done by Tuesday. And people are like, oh, crap, I have 400,000 users that are going to stop being able to use their app because, you know, it's, it's, I know it's different, right? I know that only 0.1% of users have Android 10 right now and that nobody has a face unlock phone except for, you know, all of us reviewers who are currently using the Pixel 4. Like, I get that the base is pretty small for this, but it's still not a great look when Google cannot even get more than a dozen developers to update by the time the phone is released. Um, and it just speaks to how ineffective all of these so-called um, cutoff dates are, right? November 1st yeah. is six days from now. Six days. Nobody is going to get this done in six days. So it might as well not even be, uh, it might, even, might as well not even be a requirement. And the big thing that I noted was uh, the Bank of America app just received a massive redesign where they they redid the entire interface top to bottom from, you know, splash screen all the way into the settings. And they've obviously been working on this for months. This is not like a thing you do in a week. Even knowing that, like, this was the big milestone, they're going to release this big thing with, you know, you would presumably just use all the latest APIs because you're this is going to be your big release. It doesn't include it. And it's it's like they did all of this work and they're they're so focused on all these other features and settings and everything and design. And they don't just update to the latest APIs because they don't have to. And so now knowing that that came out a week before this November 1st uh, cutoff or deadline, whatever you want to call it for the new API, we're months away from them ever considering doing another update to include it because they're not going to go out of their way. They just did a huge update. There's a yeah. software function there. Does it work on Samsung phones? If yes, okay. If no, fix it. Yeah. It does it work on 99.9% of phones that just have a fingerprint sensor? And it and does. It, it's like Google did, yeah. you know, for, for to its credit, Google went out of its way to make biometric prompt backward compatible. The only thing 
that developers need to worry about, which I'm not a developer. So this is probably not as easy as it sounds to me in my head. But the only thing they need to do is is point at a newer Android SDK, right? At the at the the newer API levels. But obviously that can and does break features for phones running older versions of Android. And that's why so mm-hmm. many developers wait as long as possible to update their apps. However, I feel like that is a better business decision, right? Remember when all of these apps started cutting off Android 4 and they ju- and they had a minimum requirement of Android 5 Marshmallow and everybody was like, okay, that makes, it makes sense to do it because this is a clean cut. And if anybody's still running a phone from, you know, using Android 4 point whatever, you know, it's probably time to up- upgrade your phone, not to mention the fact that the older versions of our apps will work. You just probably need to find them somewhere else. Then they did that with Android 6. And then, you know, slowly but surely, we're getting to the point where most apps require, uh, oh, sorry, Android 6 was Marshmallow. Android 5 was Lollipop. But you know what I'm saying. Um, you know, now most apps need Android 6 or above to run. And this is a better situation than it was two or three years ago. Um, I don't know. I, I just, I feel like, Yes, Android is kind of messed up and people and developers and IT departments have to make sure that all apps work for all phones. But come on, you're a bank. You got to support these things. There are developers out there that hopefully they're listening to this. They maybe don't even do this professionally for their living, but they're enthusiasts. They've already updated. They've done all the hard work. That doesn't excuse banks. Or, or big software houses, you know, that, that, that haven't done the work. But there may be reasons that we don't know because we don't develop apps for a living. Yeah, a good example was um, the password manager that I use is NPass, and they just added uh, face unlock support yesterday. They kind of called it like a beta or whatever. They just said early support. And I've I've talked to them before. I think it's just one guy. It might be a couple people at most. It's a pretty small app. But it was clearly pretty a pretty simple thing. Like everybody asked for it. They just even they didn't even rewrite the interface. It still says fingerprint, you know, checkbox. <laughs> they clearly just like target the new SDK uh, or a- API level, put it in there, release an update. It works like Google's done the done the work it, there were no hiccups everything works perfectly you check the box and now it asks for your your face instead of a fingerprint and it's done that you know like you said that small developer has much less baggage like they have less quality control uh yeah. hoops to jump through as a bank and you know or any other kind of secure implementation but also it's just like Come on, just just do the thing. It's it's for security reasons. So the the flip side of that is, if I was involved in IT for a bank, users on any smartphone platform wouldn't have an app unless their phone ran the very latest and most secure version, whether totally. it be iOS or Android. And Android nine, no, you don't get an app. Sorry. But I mean, that's why I don't like, do it. <laughs> my bank, my bank is is the second largest bank in Canada. It's TD Canada Trust. And if you're listening and you're from Canada and you use TD Canada Trust, you know my pain. This app sucks. It is garbage. They don't support Google Pay. They've started, they they for years have tried to go their own route and use their, you know, 
in in app proprietary payment system it's it's garbage it's, it doesn't they still don't support any biometrics at all and the only form of two factor authentication they use is sms based um this is the biggest or the second biggest bank in canada they have 10 million users um i know that's tiny by us standards but it is still unacceptable and this is like so it's for for a lot of these conversations it's not even about banks supporting face unlock it's even about them supporting the bare minimum security standards right like i when they, when they updated the app to support two factor authentication which only came in like 2018 it was years 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 too late i begged them cuz i i know the pr people i emailed them i asked them to get me to let me talk to the uh the the cto i i was i was so cuz this is a personal thing for me i want to make sure that banks are taking this seriously um and they they just don't they don't care enough to do it uh they have a mandate and their mandate is spend as little money on the android experience as possible while appeasing the most number of clients and instead of and, adding two-factor authentication and biometrics, they've added um, pre-authorized credit loan applications. So I can now apply for a loan or a line <laughs> of credit through the app. I can upgrade my bank account to, to be a more expensive version. I can trade. Um, I, I, I can you know trade uh, buy stocks and and uh, and and you know basically do everything else. And that's what's so frustrating is that the banks are, as Jerry said, they're private companies. They want to make as much money as possible. The mobile apps are vehicles to that. And the annoying thing there is that we don't use fingerprint or face unlock for every app on our phones. Most things are just secured by the lock screen. And so it's it's good that face unlock works properly for the lock screen. But for the apps that we do want and need biometrics and multi-factor authentication for are ones that we use regularly. Like we're in and out of payment apps and banking apps and password managers all the time. And so Google would realistically only have to get a couple hundred apps updated and the rest would be far, far less important. The problem is that the ones that we really need updated are these banking-related, financial-related apps that are just going to take forever. So it's kind of that that catch-22. It's going to be a lot easier for password managers to get updated uh, a lot less, you know, and indie apps and things like that. But those aren't the ones that people care about having biometrics for. They care about these big institutional apps with... 15 or 20 million downloads and all this baggage that's that's going to get in the way of that update. Yeah, you're right. I think the only real solution here is for Google to buy all of these startups and uh and and that'll solve the problem. They'll just update them themselves, just nationalize. Them. Why not? This week's episode of the Android Central podcast is brought to you by Candid all right, let's talk about the holidays. Uh, it's not the most fun time for everybody, uh, and it's a little early. It's only October, but trust me, you don't want to go through another holiday season taking closed mouth photos while everyone is grinning ear to ear. So getting a photo-ready smile, it begins right now, and it's easier than ever with clear aligners from Candid. Candid's aligners can help straighten your teeth faster than traditional wire braces, Treatment takes just six months on average. And an experienced orthodontist who is licensed in your state 
creates a custom treatment plan. Then they show you a 3D preview so you can see how your teeth will look after you're done, which is pretty damn cool. Candid's aligners are comfortable, removable, and completely invisible. Candid ships you aligners directly, so there's no hassle of going to an orthodontist's office. And Candid costs 65% less than braces. A win-win. And with each aligner purchased, Candid donates $25 to Smile Train, who helps bring safe, 100% free cleft lip and palate treatment to children around the globe. So, to get your photo-ready smile by the holidays, go to candidco.com slash ACP and use the code ACP to get $75 off. That's candidco.com slash ACP and use the code ACP for $75 off. Candidco.com slash ACP, code ACP. And we thank Candid for sponsoring the Android Central podcast. Okay, now back to the show. Uh, it looks like Jerry is out. He had a power outage, so we're just going to continue, the two of us. Uh, that that sucks. All right. I was just looking at how, how many downloads these uh, these financial apps that I have have that uh, Bank of America is still 4.7 stars. See, this is the problem. I think somebody made a point. Uh, I think it was in our Slack that, you know, unless unless this turns into a massive customer support issue, they're just not going to do it. It doesn't matter how much uh, Google shakes a stick at these developers. It, it it really comes down to what does the customer base want and care about. And right now, they're going to get more complaints about deprecating an old version of Android, support for an old version of Android, than they ever will by adding bio, you know, biometric uh, face unlock support. Yeah, you're, I know. And look, it's we're... we're Again, we're getting into the weeds about something that really cares, we care about a lot more than the average user. But I think for me as as a, it's, it's, it's hard sometimes, right? Because as a journalist, as a reviewer, I, I want companies to do well. I'm never in the business of, you know, bidding yeah. on a company, right? I don't like reviewing a pixel. Unless it's red making a phone. Unless it's red because they, they brought it on themselves. But you know, when it came to the Pixel Four, I genu like I was genuinely like really, really bummed about what happened. Right, like using this phone was one of the most frustrating, and it it just divided me in half because there were so many moments. Like, let's talk about the camera now. There were so many mm-hmm. moments that I genuinely loved using this phone. And it, it mostly came ar- around the camera experience. And this is a better camera than it was on the Pixel 3. And, you know, you went around, um, and it, you went around and it, it's in New York with Hayato and you took a bunch of low light photos and you, and, and the phone just takes amazing photos. Um, yeah. So tell us a bit about that and what your, what your experience has been like. Uh, Hayato and I had a great time, uh, in New York the the couple days after the the Google event because we both had a Pixel 4 and you know Hayato is obviously big into photography just like I am and we would just walk around and take photos of just random things and just say wow that's a great photo 
And we didn't have to set, I mean, even when we weren't, you know, setting it side by side with the iPhone or the Pixel 3, like we also did for kind of more deep dive comparisons, we just took great photos all the time. And the Pixel 4 also did it without the typical Pixel crap of, you know, that photo didn't save or it took five seconds for the camera app to open or I couldn't take a burst photo or, you know, on and on, like the the structural action of taking the photos was also really good. And so to see all that come together, you're just like you're you're you want to love the phone just in general, just because the camera is so good. And then you put it alongside something like the iPhone 11, when we took all these outdoor super low light shots and it just objectively does better than the iPhone at a majority of things. And then the subjective parts are, well, yeah, you can like the look of one or the other, but that's just photography for you. And that's, you know, this computational low light photography in particular, but the fact that it can do so well in so many different situations uh, is is fantastic. And we were just regularly blown away by what it can do. Yeah, I mean, what, what I was thinking about, I since uh, Google added those those memory boxes to the top of photos, right? Last month where you go into the Google Photos app and it gives you like one year ago, two years ago, three years mm-hmm. ago. Um, I, I've noticed around October, so mid to late October into November, when I'm guaranteed to uh, guaranteed to be using a Pixel, all of my photos are of much much higher quality than the rest of <laughs> yeah, the year. Yeah, that's great. Right, I have like a three week window where all of the photos I take are on a Pixel phone, and as a result, all of those photos of my kid, of my dog, of my friends, my family, they all just look better. And it's striking that even in 2016, this was the case, right? And then, yeah. you know, I go into a new product, I, I review an LG phone or a Samsung phone, or I just go back to using whatever I have. Um, but since 2016, that has always been the consistent experience. And I just feel like Google nailed it even more this year. They've toned down some of that opinionated color mm-hmm. saturation stuff. It's still, you know, the colors are cool, but they're not like overly cool. Um, they're they're more realistic. They're they're more detailed. They're able to eke more detail from low light. Overall, I just think that this is the best camera that you have on a phone. Yes, the iPhone 11 Pro does great and has that wide angle, um, you know, lens. But if I just want to take a photo of a person and get a great photo every time, I'm going to choose the Pixel, and that hasn't changed yep. in four years or three years. And the wonderful thing is that even side by side with the Pixel 3, you can notice those differences. And, you know, we were just putting the Pixel 3 up against the Note 10 Plus, iPhone 11 Pro, and Huawei P30 Pro. And it was the Pixel 3 was already as good as the iPhone and better than the other two. And then when you set it side by side, you're like, wow, it actually makes the Pixel 3's photos look kind of bad because the Pixel 4 was so much clearer and sharper in a variety of lighting conditions where you know side by side in daylight you know that's just you kind of expect any high-end phone to do pretty well and the the gains aren't as big there but you see clarity and colors in low light on the pixel 4 that match the daylight capabilities of the pixel 3 and that's pretty crazy when you consider that 
you know, there wasn't a major change in the way they're doing the lenses or the sensor or anything like that. It's just a different processing and, you know, different takes on that opinionated pixel look. Totally. And I got I, the big thing for me was also that the pixel four took better photos right out of the camera that I was very happy with more often than the three. So often with the three things were just a little too warm, a little too dull. And they, they benefited so much from going into Google photos and just hitting auto. Even if you didn't want to move around the sliders, the pixel four more often than not was just straight out of the camera. I took the photo. I loved it. I would share that to somebody without any tweaks. And that's like, that's Samsung level stuff where they were really good at just giving you something pleasing right out of the, you know, right from the get go, but the fundamentals fell off. Like the pixel four can do both. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of scrolling through my phone right now looking for examples. And you know, one of them is a photo that I take almost every day on any phone that I have in my pocket. It's of my daughter. She's sitting in, uh, or sitting or, or like, you know, playing on the carpet in my living room. Uh, it's, it's lit by, um, by a bunch of, of, of hue bulbs that are pretty warm, but there's a little bit of natural light coming in from the, uh, from the windows, but they're a blind. So it's, they're kind of, um, they're, they're a little bit dimmer. Uh, the, the light is a bit dimmer than it would be if the, if the window was, was fully open or the blinds were open. So it's like a, a, a mostly artificial light with a little bit of natural light. Any phone that I've tried this on, an iPhone, uh, a Samsung phone, a Huawei phone, all of that facial detail would be crushed. There would be absolutely nothing yeah. there. You wouldn't be able to see the the lines in her face, the individual. Like it, it's just there's no detail. If you zoom in, it would just be a blob of pink. But with this photo, it's amazing. It's it's so clear um, and so pleasant. Like I don't know how else to put it. It just it just nails it. Um, and that's something that the Pixel's always done really well, but this just does it really, uh, it takes it to a next level. And, you know, I I know that I said I can't recommend this phone to anybody because the battery life is so bad, but honestly, this photo, the, these photos are so amazing that um, if, you, if you want a phone just to take photos of people really well, the Pixel 4 XL is is just the best possible camera for that. Yeah, it it does a particularly good job with people in troubling lighting in a way that other phones only do in in good lighting. I guess is the is the best way to put it. It overcomes issues with the scene while also getting the person right. And usually you kind of have to choose one or the other. Uh yeah, and I, you know, I, I, it just, it pain. that's why it pains me because the size of the Pixel 4, the smaller one, just makes it such an amazing point and shoot camera. I can hold it with one hand. I don't have to worry about, you know, balancing it or holding it with two. Like all of the, the liabilities and the sacrifices that come from having a larger phone as a, as a camera, you know, not necessarily as a viewfinder, but as a physical object. Um, right. I just wish that, Google had figured out the battery life because I just love taking photos. Um, let's also, I, we, we don't have Hayato here, but let's talk quickly about the Astro mode because uh, it's mm-hmm. really good if you have the tools to take advantage of it. 
and it's supposed to be clear here tonight because it's been cloudy for the last few days. I really want to take some of these photos. And this is not normally, look, I have cameras and tripods and I could do this all the time if I wanted to. But seeing the photos that Hayato shared and everybody else has been sharing makes me want to go take these astrophotography photos just just because I, I think they're amazing, even though I could have done it with anything else. But having it just in a phone is kind of a, a next level simplicity. Totally. And this the slider, the dual sliders as well, I think add a really interesting way of just changing the um kind of the natural look of a photo, right? You have the ability to mm-hmm. lower the shadows for the first time um before you take a shot. And the live HDR plus viewfinder makes it clear what kind of photo you're taking. Um, all of these things really add to it. Um, what I haven't found use for is the, well, not a lot of use for at least is the is the telephoto lens. So really, I was just about to talk about that. Yeah, I mean, look, I like we we talked about this before. It's yeah, this doesn't have to turn into an ultra wide versus telephoto battle again. No, no, no. But we talked about it. I actually, I don't think I talked about it with you yet, but I've talked about it with Miriam on 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 the mobile tech podcast. Google is not using the telephoto lens to do 2x like it's never been that you know simple for google google is using the telephoto lens for data and it wants to make 8x photos sharper 6x photos sharper so it just it uses that additional data to make super res zoom photos much better and i respect them for doing that because an 8x photo on a google on a pixel 4 looks so much better than an 8x photo on a Pixel 3 or an iPhone 10, 10, um, 11 Pro. Yeah, I mean, you'd throw away the 8x photo on any other phone. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean... I, I've just started to... Once I got over the hurdle of, like, I know that this is digital zoom and it's lower resolution and it looks bad, and started to just take more photos at 3 and 4x and be pleasantly surprised by how sharp they are, but also how they just look the same in terms of colors and just general look and color profile as at one X I've just started, you know, doing the double tap on the viewfinder. And I still wish that it was just a single tap that you could cycle through like one, two, three, four five X. That would be a lot better than using the little slider, but there's just not a big enough drop off in quality that, I that I hold off from using it. It's kind of like the ultra wide discussion where you know it's not as good as the regular lens, but you do it anyway because it's a different look and feel and you can get different kinds of photos. And after I did a lot of these side by sides of 1x, 2x, 4x just to show the kind of drop off in quality, I just skipped the 1x a lot of times and like I would just take 2x photos and they look really good. And you you really wouldn't notice that they're not you know full full quality. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, there's there's also just something <clears throat> really nice about being able to use a Pixel camera for the first time that actually works straight out of the box. Like I know that's table <laughs> right? stakes for any other OEM, but like that hasn't been the case for Google. I haven't had any problems with performance. You double you you know you press the camera app or you double. Uh, press the power button and it just launches quickly photo the shutter never lags like you don't have to wait that half a second for it to be able to you know to be able to depress that shutter button on the screen photos save every time 
Again, not something that we could have taken for granted in previous years. Doesn't kill your podcast app that you're listening <laughs> to when podcast. you open the camera. Like all, I've taken burst photos that you know, great, great for people and dogs. Like you could just take burst photos, and it'll actually save all of them. It won't start taking a burst photo five frames later. Exactly, and you know, it just it comes down to the fact that Google nailed the camera for for every uh, every aspect of the camera this year as long as it was based on stills. Um, and then, yeah, everybody's been railing against Google for not providing 4K60. I kind of get that. I don't think it's a matter of, hey, Google didn't provide 4K60. It's more that Google didn't improve the... Sorry, I don't know how to help with that. Yeah, she doesn't know how to help with adding 4K60. No, um, no. What, I, what I'm frustrated more more than just the frame rate is the fact that video just does not seem to be on their radar, period. Like, it just is not a thing that Google seems to care about. It's not something that they are optimizing. The output still drops frames. I was recording at 1080.60 the other day, and I saved it. I uploaded it to my computer. I wanted to edit it. And there were tons of drop frames. It's just not great. Yeah, so, I've never recorded in 4K in general just because... I don't need the big file sizes going into my Google Photos, and I just don't really care. And even still, it's just like the quality's kind of been the same since 2016. Yeah, exactly. That's just not that's just not enough. And I look, I don't shoot a ton of video on on my phone, and I know that this is definitely a thing that reviewers who do video reviews are obviously going to focus on more. But it, it is kind of odd that after Google made huge strides with its electronic image stabilization that was so good for the time, that was kind of the last innovation they did on on video. Yeah, it's just again, like what 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 Rick Oslo said during his Vergecast interview it was was really enlightening. He said, if we're gonna take video as seriously as we're taking photos, we have to figure out a way to do pro, like constant computational videography in the same quality that we're doing photography and that's really difficult and i kind of get that but i also don't really understand it because video yeah, don't let perfect be the enemy of good no exactly and and video uh you know so for example google fixed the microphones on the phone this year right like recording f- audio from the uh from the phone is way better than it was last year. If you remember last year, the Pixel 3 made everything sound like you were in a tin can or that you were mm-hmm. underwater. Uh, it's way, way better. It's fuller. It it doesn't sound compressed. It's just a better audio capture. Um, they just didn't do anything to video. It's no better at all. And that's frustrating. But, with the, I mean, they made strides in the biggest pain points. And so it, you know, all of the consistency and all of the things we were just talking about, I'm willing to give them the pass on not not having video up to up to speed as much. I guess so. I mean, I don't use a lot of video on my phone, so that's it is fine. And like for what I needed for, I capture five sec, ten second videos of my daughter, or my dog, or whatever. Like it's fine. It's just for anybody who wants to be a content creator. I mean, I like the argument goes: Google owns YouTube. Google yeah. has relationships with a lot of YouTubers and influencers who do video for a living, and they're often the ones that are the most um, the the most effective evangelizers of your product. And if they are telling people not to buy this phone, if you're a videographer or you like to create content, 
then that doesn't look great. And Apple is so far ahead in video that they're not, Google just isn't going to be able to catch up uh, unless they do a huge, you know, year over year leap. And I don't know if that's, if that's going to happen. And a lot of that same discussion goes into the front-facing camera where they went to the single camera that has a field of view that split the difference between the normal and wide on the Pixel 3 and also doesn't have autofocus. And so those were two things that are like for your kind of your typical vloggy kind of situation with front-facing video, it just got worse on the Pixel 4 than the Pixel 3. And again, it's just it doesn't really play into like so much of what they talk about with in on YouTube on the YouTube side where it's like very personal spur of the moment, like, uh, you know, individual videos rather than this super highly produced stuff. It just like front facing video just got worse. And that that's just very, a very odd decision too. the front, the whole front facing, uh, strategy this year is is kind of just <laughs> the worst of all worlds like you know you lose autofocus you have a wider field of view but it's not wide enough for some people it's you know it's it's too wide for other people and it's not wide enough to say you don't need autofocus i think is kind of the also the thing the reason why the pixel 3's wide angle camera didn't have autofocus is that it's so wide that you wouldn't need autofocus anyway yeah but now you're still at like what 97 is that right degrees 90 90 degrees oh 90 instead of 97 yeah uh and it's like so 90 degrees is like just not like that's still full arm extension you know kind of territory and so your arm is more likely to you know get in close and need autofocus it's it very much feels like it was a major casualty of putting so much other stuff in that in that top bezel I mean, there's so much stuff in the top bezel, Andrew. It just feels, yeah, there's a lot. There's <laughs> it a lot just up feels there. so busy. <laughs> and I was just like, hey, I would gladly take a second front-facing camera over this uh, Soli sensor, but you know. Okay, so let's talk about motion sense quickly because my thoughts have sort of changed on it since I've gotten used to how to use it, but it's still not it's still not great. So I'll, I'll give you two examples of of. Uh, the way that I really I, I I appreciate it, and then one example in in a way that I don't. So the one, uh, you know, solely in general powers motion sense. It's a radar chip. Um, I was making dinner the other day, and uh, there was a recipe behind the lock screen. Uh, so the phone had gone to sleep. Uh, my hands were dirty. I'd been um, I'd been mixing a bunch of vegetables with oil. So I just wanted to see the recipe to make sure that I was doing everything, everything right. So I walked over to my phone. Uh, it detected that I was there. I stood in front of it. It unlocked immediately. And then I saw the recipe, right? That was this like wow moment of no other phone can do that right now. No other phone has ambient detection plus always on biometrics that allows you to not even touch your phone to interact with it. Uh, the second way that I, that I had this wow moment was just a really simple thing where um, I was... I, I make coffee every morning. I set a five minute timer. I do my thing. I, you know, I'm, I'm feeding my daughter. I'm feeding my dog. Like I'm doing a whole bunch of things at the same time. And the timer goes off and I'm not even in front of my phone. I just wave my hand kind of like haphazardly in front of the phone and the timer goes away, right? It's that same thing that when Google added the word stop to its smart displays 
earlier this year, so you didn't have to say, hey, gee, stop. It just simplified everything. And it's those small interactions that really help me understand where Google is coming from. At the same mm-hmm. time, actually, the thing that makes Motion Sense marketable, the ability to swipe between songs when you're playing music, that is so unreliable that I don't even, I don't even want to try to use it. Yeah, I just turned it off. Like you can turn, you know, you could turn off individual features. I just turned that off because my phone sits on the table or desk or whatever next to my computer. And every time I go to reach over it to grab my coffee cup or I lift up my computer for whatever reason, like anytime my hand makes some kind of a general motion, it would skip songs. Or if I go to act actively switch songs, it would work like maybe 75% of the time. So it has both false positive and false negative problems at the same time, which seems baffling. Totally. Yeah, 100%. But I do, uh, I mean, those two examples that you gave are, are great. Like those are the commercials for this phone. Are the, like if you're trying to promote motion sense, like those are two fantastic ways to do so. The bigger the, the bigger thing that I found value in having the just the solely radar chip in there in general is just the the better understanding. It kind of gets to your first point is the better understanding the phone has of where you are around it for some of these ambient um, actions. And it doesn't have to be actively swiping your hand over it to change tracks or anything like that. It's more of the. It knows your face is there. It knows your hand is there before your face or hand get there. Um, when you walk away from your phone, the ambient display stops displaying because it knows that it doesn't have to show you anything. When you pick up your phone, it's uh, able to light up and be ready to go with your lock screen and your face unlock faster than if it just used the accelerometer. It's all of those little things that make solely useful but the big like headline branded thing motion sense doesn't really have as much of utility. So it, it's tough that the the e- easier to market parts don't work as well as the not really marketable because they're just kind of part of the phone experience parts. And it's also incredibly uh, frustrating if you start to look into the settings on this phone. I think that you noted this as well. There are a million different places that you can look and find settings related to solely emotion sets. Oh my god! Oh my god! Like the there is so. How do you figure it out? I don't. I have no idea. I still don't know. Like there is. There's. Let me let me look at my phone right now. It's it's so stupid. There there are gesture settings, which is things like the interruption, uh, stopping alarms and calls, and skipping tracks which is controlled independently of turning motion sense as a whole on and off. And then if you go into the display settings, you get your own set of settings for keeping the phone, uh, um, keeping the screen turned on when you're looking at it and things like that. And then you have like ambient display settings, which are in lock screen, which there are four or five different settings for ambient display that all have to do with, with Soli. It's, it's insane. It's really, really bad. It does not. It doesn't make sense to me. There's a a setting called "reach to check phone," where mm-hmm. the phone, I guess, is trying to detect whether 
there's a hand in front of it. So you, it's the Moto X thing. Yeah. You reach literally, you're, you're like reaching your hand towards picking it up and it'll be like, Oh, there's a hand there. Let's, let's turn on the display. But when I turn it, when I turn that setting off and I reach for the phone, it still detects me. So yeah, I have no idea what, because the pixel three did that. So yeah, it's, it's not clear what's the old system with the camera and the accelerometer and things. And what's the new stuff with the Soli chip. It it just kind of feels like the Soli chip, it definitely added a layer of uh, sensitivity and I guess just sensitivity is a good way to think about it to all of these interactions, but it's not clear or concise as to, you know, when it's actually in use. It's just kind of there. Um, okay. So TLDR on this phone um, we're going to ask our producer to, like, if you if you didn't want to listen to all of our stuff right before this, you could just <laughs> chapter you could set a chapter mark right here. TLDR on Pixel 4. Um, small Pixel 4. Uh, I don't think you should buy it. I think it's it's too expensive for the battery life sacrifice. There are other better, smaller phones out there. Um, however, if you are obsessed with camera and you need a, a small phone and you're willing to charge it every day during the day, then, okay, pick it up. But let's talk about the more reasonable recommendation, the Pixel 4 XL. Um, Would you recommend this to somebody over, say, a Galaxy S10 or a Galaxy S10 Plus or a Note 10 Plus or a OnePlus 7 Pro or a 7T? Uh, There are so many good phones out there right now. Who should buy the Pixel 4 XL? Yeah, you're right. There are so many good phones. And I, I did have somebody ask me this question earlier today. Like, would you recommend the Pixel 4 XL to, you know, your average consumer, your normal person? And I totally would. I would just have to make sure to explain to them that, like, can you on some days, like, charge this? Can you deal with charging midday? Can you deal with charging before you go out in the evening? And a lot of them will probably say, oh, yeah, I I could because, look, the the all the software and all those capabilities are great. It doesn't have these, you know, performance issues anymore. The camera is absolutely incredible and there, there aren't other shortcomings. If you compare it to phones of similar prices where, you know, you probably know that you're overpaying in general, like $900 is expensive, but it's not, it's not crazy compared to all these other phones that are also available. So I would I would happily recommend it to anybody if they understood that it's not going to have the battery life that other other phones do. But if you if you want that battery life or you need that battery life, the great thing is that you have the OnePlus 7T and 7 Pro and Galaxy S10 Plus and Note 10 Plus. Like those are awesome examples of great phones that also do all of these things almost as well in many cases or just as well in other cases are roughly the same you know price ranges and they don't have to be charged in the middle of the day and like that's kind of your trade-off i don't think that there's a blow away success like that gets all of it right the pixel obviously does a lot of things better than those phones too so I think that with some of these problems that have been pointed out with the Pixel or perceived problems, people are all of a sudden dunking on it so hard that they think that this can't be recommended to people. 
Like, look, I still gave it a four out of five. And if the battery life is better, it'd be a four and a half. And like, that means this is a really, really, really good phone. And it still does a lot of things better than the competition does. Yeah, no, I, I agree with that. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know. I feel like there's there's so much good here. Um, I still prefer a Pixel over every other Android phone. I, I'm i willing to deal with the battery um, limitations on the larger one. And I'm, I'm actually going to... I bought my own XL, which should be here next week, uh, just because I, yeah. I don't think I can continue using the, the, the smaller one. Um, is it orange? It is. It's orange. I, I, wow. Bold. I did. I, you know what? I, I ordered it, um, before I saw the white one in person. And then I was like, Oh, I made a mistake. I think the white one actually looks better, but I prefer the white one too. Just don't get the black one. I'm going to use a case on it. Glossy and gross. Um, I'm, I'm going to make one. I'm going to make a case recommendation that people are going to resent me for because it's expensive, but I love leather cases and Bellroy's leather case, uh, is so good they make it they no it complaint so here well. i agree it's it's a it's what 60 dollars 55 60 bucks like it's 55 bucks it was for the pixel 3 yeah it's so it's not and cheap, i loved it on the pixel 3 but they use amazing quality leather this thing has it just looks better in the last three days than most other leather cases do in three weeks um and i would recommend it so i'm going to put it in a case it'll be fine um and uh yeah i'm, I'm, I'm excited to try the the larger one but um, my hope is, and then this is going to be, this is not going to happen, but here's my dream, is that Google's going to come out with an update and be like, oh, we found this crazy memory usage, but it's going <laughs> to save you 20% in battery life and you can start using the small phone again. So, Oh, here's the crazy thing. If the battery life on the Pixel 4 was 20% better, it still wouldn't make it through a day. I know, I know. 20%. 20% extra on the 4XL. Now that would that would be good. Like that would make it happen. Yeah, that's true. Because I mean, even right now with my phone that's been on flip to shush for an hour and a half and has barely been used today is still saying I'm only going to make it to 11:30 tonight. Well, you know, that's a good good bedtime for a Friday night anyway for an old man like you. So, oh, it'll be it'll be plugged in 2 hours before that, I'll be asleep. <laughs> All right. Well, uh we're going to we're going to say goodbye and um i don't know where jerry went i hope that i hope that he's okay and that his power went back on but or came back on but yeah uh, either way andrew um thank you for this and thanks for dealing with my incessant coughing both on the podcast and during our many many meetings this week i appreciate Oh, you're the one that has to deal with it i i just feel bad that you're still you're still grinding away but you're a true professional and jim will also clean it up yeah jim's the true professional (laughs) that's that he's the hero we don't we we need but don't deserve we just show up. Yeah. All right. Well, um, if you have any feedback about this, and honestly, okay, so here's two things. If you're a developer and you've been listening to this and you'd be like, these guys know nothing about Android development. Valid. They're all wrong about the API and SDK and all these things. Send us an email, podcast at Android Central. Uh, we'd love to be set straight and te- and be told how really, really freaking difficult it is to get a big institution like a bank to change their policies and update their apps. Um, secondly, if you're just interested in the Pixel 4 or not interested and uh, want to tell us why, also send us some feedback to podcast at Android Central. We do love hearing from you, and I read every single email, I promise. Um, I think I think next week, Andrew, we're going to do a Q&A episode. Cool. Um, so a lot of other Android, well, a lot of other podcasts do this, and, and we've, we haven't done it in a while. So 
Um, we're going to post it on the site, so don't worry. But if you do want to get in ahead of the game and you've and you've listened this long, uh, send your questions to us. Anything. It doesn't have to be a Pixel. It doesn't have to be at our phones. It can be about whatever you want. Send them to Podcast and Android Central. Just put a Q&A episode in the subject title or this in the subject, and uh, that'll help me filter all the questions. So that's Q&A episode in the, t- in the subject. Uh, and we will, we will have as many people on the podcast as possible, uh, especially if you are directing questions to particular people. So yeah. you know, if you want to ask Ara something about Chromebooks or Jerry about Raspberry Pi or Michael Fisher about why he's so damn handsome, we'll do our best. I want to know that. Yeah, to get, that's to my get Q&A question. All right, <laughs> I'm going to go have a coughing fit. Uh, so thank you for listening, and uh, we will see you next week. Bye-bye. So long. <laughs>